0: Hey everybody, how's it going? Dan Schinder here on Yes Shift with... Stephen Schinder And our guest for his very first Yes Shift hazing, Jeff Berlin. I'm in Globe, Arizona. Steve's in Bakersfield, California. Jeff's in Nashville, big music city. Jeff, welcome and thanks again for making time, especially so late at night. I'm
1: always happy to uh, have a chance to chat about music people. Um, so at any hour that we can do this, this is a good hour for me, so.
0: Great. And we're both so excited to talk to you about a new project, new album. I I don't know if there's a more legendary bass player that comes from the world of blues and and what the band Cream created for the legacies of rock music after that with Jack Bruce. I mean, just amazing tell us about your friendship with jack and how did you guys meet and what's up with that who meets and hangs out with jack bruce
1: well jeff berlin i did for for a little while anyways i mean yeah. we were pretty friendly we were both sort of cut from the same sort of humor rag we both had uh spontaneous sort of humor uh improv kind of uh, relationship uh when Frank was big in the 60s he was my bona fide singular guide to uh, experiment in bass playing. And um, he was so impactful with me and such a major influence that uh, when I finally met him, I was shaken. I was, I can honestly say that I, I mean, I conducted myself with a little dignity, but I was like, I cannot believe that I'm in the presence of the man who literally defined the pathway that I chose to trot. So, I mean, I I, uh, I met him at, um, the old Ronnie Scott's in London. I was in London at the time. And uh, John Heisman, the late, great drummer. Uh, he and I were friendly. And uh, I, I knew he had a history with Jack and I said, is Jack in town? Can I meet him? And he goes, uh, sure. And Jack came down to Ronnie's to meet me because I'd already oh, wow. developed a rep as a bassist around. So Jack came most forthcoming kind I, I was shaken and every time I saw him I, I always had that little kid in me that went it's it's him it's
0: Yeah, just... yeah that's awesome um we're gonna Steve and I share this next question because you truly have a list of all stars playing on this album Jack song so Steve I'll, I'll read uh, part of it because there's so many I can, we couldn't even memorize it so we decided to split the duties so first of all after we read this, Tell us what the process was like working with some of these people, especially if you hadn't worked with them before, and, and how they came on board. We're talking about people like um, Sammy Hagar, Alex Lifeson, Getty Lee. Okay, the first three husbands, whatever. Uh, Greg Bissonette, Gary Husband, awesome drummer. He's been on the show a couple times. Uh, my Drum Talk TV show, Eric Johnson. Steve, take it from there. I'm like breathless already with these guys.
2: Yeah, Bill Frizell, Ron Bumblefoot Fall, Alex slide sorry, I don't know how that's pronounced. L- Ligertwood? Ligertwood. Uh Scott Henderson, Marcus Miller, Ron Carter. Ron Carter. Yeah, I'm... Tony Levin, Michael League, Nathan East, Nathan... Mark King, Bruce Guttridge, Billy Sheehan, and Johnny Hilland. I love I that know.
0: you have some other monster. Bass players on here. So, yes. talk about that. How did all that part of it come about?
1: <laughs> well, uh, just as a quick preamble, um, when Jack died, I was actually in on the road, and his death took, hit me hard. I uh, again, uh, some people deeply affect us. Yeah, but into their musical power. So when Jack passed, I said, I have to do a record and I went to record companies and did not get, I sorry to say the support for it. So I put, it's on my dime. And in part, uh, there were so many, excuse me, give me a second. I'm, I'm recollecting here. Yeah. Um, Jack's repertoire was far deeper than cream. Yes, yeah. Cream repertoire was in fact, the only representation of the Cream repertoire was my uh, arrangement in the first tune of the record called well, Creamed, and but he had so many other songs that came about after that period that the arrangements got complexer and complexer. Is there such a word? Because I just entered it into the use it in box. Scrabble.
0: It's like thirty three points, I think.
1: Thirty three points. Pago, pago. North pago, pago. So <laughs> I. I I won a game using that word. So um, uh, I had a need to express these songs in as much vital musical way that I could provide and recognize that if other musicians that might also have admired Jack as much as I did could have guested on this record in their particular little slots, I was create a record that I believe, at least in this recent times, has no equal. And that the musical element of it was that, how many tunes is on a record? Eight or ten? Um, uh, every song had to be unique, had to be its own epic. Hold on, I'm turning off my phone. Had to be unique, had to be strong unto itself, had to have its own sort of epic approach. I wanted every song to be marvelous. I know every artist wants that. Um, but it, it occurred to me that if I had these guests that would lift the music in their unique way, I would have something that just isn't out there right now because uh, music isn't the most popular influence to get someone to purchase or listen to music. It it, I noticed a change in the society somehow that 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 for the sake of music alone, because that's how I was raised, you know, I'm an older guy now, and we were just into music for its own sake. And I said, well, if I had these great guests <clears throat> and trust confidently in the music that I've arranged and composed so many sections within it and did so much to it that the list that you two gentlemen just read off might be an extra cookie for people that really wanted to hear something that they might be special just for that. Wow, I got to hear this pick itself is impactful. I don't know if I answered it.
0: Yeah, you did. And what I love about that is when I look at the list again on my screen, I think you you nailed it with that last comment about how it's that extra cookie to hear these players Mm -hmm. in that same lane where maybe a lot of their admirers had never heard them before. And sometimes we find out from our musical heroes, that they have influences. We didn't have a clue that they were an influence. And this is one more sort of trail of breadcrumbs for that, I think.
1: I'd like to think so. I mean, let's go to Sammy Hagar. I met Sammy in 1978 uh, in a gig. I was in a sort of a festival, a football stadium thing that Bill Bruford's band was hired to play at, so we played. and in that was Sammy Hagar. And we ended up in a conversation. We didn't know each other. We just ended up in a conversation for four minutes. And when I talked with him, when I found a way to reach him and say, would you like to sing? Because I had that song, Elangelo Misterioso." It was, I heard Sammy and no one else. I said, this is a Sammy Hagar song. And he generously, and you gotta understand that these guys are superstars. Yeah. And yet, the music were kind enough to participate. But he said to me, Yeah, remember that conversation we had back in 1978? I said, How did you even remember this? So
0: <laughs> that's awesome.
1: So th- there's an example of a guy who, with his fame, authority, his impact on music, still found it uh, vital to participate in a musical project that was different than what his normal bent might have been. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I love that. That's what each of these guys did. Like, what is Getty Lee gonna really benefit from by, by contributing that bass part that he did on, 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 on uh, what is it, Smiles and Grins, um, and all of these guys, what is the benefit? Right. The benefit I feel this is that each guy said, you know, they they trust me as a musician, which I think is an honor. They rely on the fact that I'm going to do something that won't let's say disrespect their rep or, or misuse their reputations, you know, that I did not take them and exclusively showcase them. I showcased them within the, the, the song, congr- you know, the whole congruency of the song and, it, it, and In that, each of these guests is, they lifted the music, they made it better. And I owe them for that. And that they love music so much that even in their particular status, they said, I wanna do a project that might be of a musical interest. And I'm certain that that's the reason why these Mm -hmm. fellows appeared on this record. And they know me and that's very kind.
0: That's awesome. Thanks. You mentioned uh, what an influence Jack was on you. So I wanna honor that by playing a really quick short clip of you doing um, a little excerpt of your version of Sunshine of Your Love. This is you in the studio. Check this out, folks. And for those of you watching on the Drum Talk TV simulcast, you too, as well as the Yes Shift fans can ask questions. Steve's monitoring the chat. We'll be right back after this clip. Check this out. just love it
2: yeah how did you uh, for the jack songs album how would you narrow it down to these songs and what was it like rearranging the classic songs as opposed to just straight up covering them um his,
1: his uh his catalog is so vast uh but when i was a boy i listened to i think uh three or four of his solo records to where i didn't merely listen to them i drank them in yeah. so it, matter they were always there and I had my favorites and then later someone suggested actually it was Malcolm Bruce his son who suggested I think it was uh, oh gosh time in a word and I used oh. that at the end of one of the songs the arrangements were an interesting challenge because I don't like doing covers I I always felt that the originals tend to be superior in that, the flavor, the attitude, the grunge, the the, the amp sound, the, the 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 manner that all musicians cohes you know, yeah, to be unique enough to where I don't think people really want to hear me going, you know, where I didn't feel that that would be interesting enough. So, I'm a good arranger, and I decided to. Extract this part of this song and this part of this song, and see if they harmonically worked, and they did. And so every song—that's why I, I may have mentioned earlier that each song is an epic. I wanted every song to be striking to the listener, that it was—it was a—it was—it was, it was a cohesive kind of thing. I guess I used the word congruent before, and that's a wrong I use of the word. I apologize. But this record was a, 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 a set of songs where songs stood out because of how it was arranged. Um, Cream has five or six Cream references in it. Creamed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, a Letter of Thanks has several Jack references to it. Um, uh, L'Angelo Mysterioso uh, goes into NSU, Never Tell Your Mother She's That true. Uh there's three or four Jack songs from Cream and, and Other Periods, plus the only Cream jam on the record. Wow. Uh, between Scott Henderson and Gary Husband and I.
0: Oh, that's so cool.
1: It is. I, I, I thank you for that. But I did see a lot of music tends to be guitar music with a good bass player. Mm. The intention was for me was to make, you know, it, it, you know Cream was a guitar tr- band in, in essence. Yeah. Um, I wanted to take that cream jam and make a guitar trio with a freaking outstanding bass part. And I showed I thought about it and then when we played I said I've got to do things that are not usual for bass to do. Um and sort of emulate the 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 style of Jack while doing it. and Got the best bass on et cetera, et cetera. So, um these are the things that each song provided that I wanted it to be arranged where nobody has ever heard Jack Bruce music like this before. Right? Am, am I over? Am I being no? Too it ready? makes
0: perfect sense. I I'm imagining it in my mind like each song it's unfolding, and I hear it like each song now is almost like a reinterpreted medley of his work, mm-hmm. grouped in harmonic harmony, the, the ones that fit, like you said, when you tried them out. And what, what keeps going through my mind is, so were some of these songs played by both, let's say, you and Getty, or you and Billy Sheehan, or you and Nathan East at the same time, or going from one part into another with another guy? How how did the multiple bass players, no pun oh. intended, play out during the album and the pieces?
1: <laughs> it's entire record. Uh, Could have been a disaster, because the whole record is stitched together. There practically was no live playing on it except for Bruce Gottrich's drums, my bass, uh, and and the piano. Once once I had uh, written or arranged the music with a click, um, I use click tracks. Uh, I, the only reason I mentioned that is because I'm known not to like uh, metronomes in practicing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I recognize people enjoy them and, and they should, you know, follow and do what they think is best. So in, in that regard, but for professional recording, it's better. I use a click track. So once the pianos were done, I went to Bruce Guttridge's place who is, he was introduced to me by drummer Dennis Chambers. Okay. And, and I said, my God, he's, he's a phenomenon. And he and I played bass and drums. Now now we had keyboards, bass and drums, and that's where the stitch job began. Because we had to overdub horns, then we had to overdub uh, John McCracken's guitar, then we had to overdub, uh, overdub every soloist, And then I have that tune where I called it, well, John McCracken called it a bass relay, which has mm. eight bass players. Those are the bass players that you guys mentioned. Uh, and. Each guy flew in a park. I sent them the music, they played. And it was really due to the genius, brilliance of John McCracken's production skills that made this record sound organic. But it was a stitch job because I couldn't afford to fly eight guys into town or go, you know, or do this. Uh, each of these guys, Sammy sang from California, Alex Liveson recorded from his house up in Toronto, uh, Ontario, Ontario, and Toronto. You know, I have a pianist in in Buenos Aires, Argentina, named Mariano Agustoni, who is just beautiful. He's on a couple of the tunes. Everybody was flown in. And unbelievably, I hope you guys will agree, it sounds uh, uh, organic, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, that is so awesome. I love that. Um, And you're touring in 2023, which is like right around the corner, past the tree, make a left, and we're there. Um, where are you going? How extensive is the tour and who's your, all these guys are going with you, right?
1: Uh, all of them. They're all going to fly economy. <laughs> so, um, I have a band that I've arranged here in Nashville. I, uh, this is the group and all of them are on the record. And it's really we're just going to be a slug in and out group. I mean, um, I have an agent in in in, uh, in Europe who is uh, booking us in Europe and in Asia I have no American agent. I've tried hard, but I can't seem to find an agent interested in me here.
0: Wow, that blows but, my mind.
1: Well, it's, I don't, it is what it is, you know, and I accept that. Um, that's why I'm usually in Europe playing or usually mm-hmm. in Europe doing my thing. I'm pretty popular there. and pretty popular in Asia and other places. South America has been very good to me. Um, I can't find an American agent who will book Jack Bruce. I don't even know what to do about it. So, thank <laughs> God for, for uh, spiritual and therapy. I just go with the flow. But if something happens and somebody takes an interest, I got an ass kick and slamming group with great music. But uh, I don't know. America's a tough nut because it's so spread out. A lot of my friends don't tour here. A lot of guys you know do not tour here because of the vast distances between. But I'd like to.
0: Yeah. I'd like to. Well, are you doing any of the U.S.? Or is it all europe and uk and
1: Asia? all europe uk uh at this particular juncture but okay. uh like i said i there isn't an agent here that seems to see this as a viable project or me as a viable client and i'll tell you the truth i accept it it's okay
0: yeah it's the good. music scene here in you, know, you know jeff for so long has gotten so commercial. I I remember years and years and years ago in another life, I was in a prog band and the bass player of the band collected imports. That's what they were called then, because it was the only way you can get them. Vinyl imports of bands. I had never, the only band I had heard of once before that he collected was Marillion. This is 1982, 83, 84. And all these other prog bands were from the Netherlands, Norway, all over Scandinavia, different parts of, of Europe. And and we didn't get signed. We were playing the same venues at the same time as Motley Crue, Great White, you know, all those bands. But we were prog. We were cross between... Frank Zappa, Gentle Giant, and Genesis, and all that was gone. It was all skinny ties and new wave or spandex and big hair. And we weren't having it. You know, we were just in our lane and we, we missed the boat because in America, all that was changing. And And I don't think it's changed much since when it comes to the fact that they want this formula and everything but is still popular in Europe. And that's why you're so big there.
1: Well, it's an interesting thing because a lot of artists are are fairly well working there. Some of the big name jazz guys, you're going to laugh at this. I sent a letter to uh, some time ago to Clinton, Bill Clinton, when he was president. And uh, I didn't to Biden because his plate is full.
0: It's funny. I thought you meant George Clinton at first.
1: (laughs) I was waiting to hear that story. Well, actually, George Clooney, but he didn't get back to me either, so. So it was. It was a letter saying, "You know, uh, Mr. President, the White House often features sort of concert night, and they have artists that play. And inevitably, the artists that they feature are always the same top several artists mm-hmm. at that particular time. Always, it will be Stevie Wonder. In the jazz, it will always be Herbie Hancock, and and." always if, if invited you know paul simon or paul or Paul mccartney mm-hmm. so i said there is a you know the only art that america ever invented was jazz. jazz We not created anything else and i said the greatest body of jazz brilliant musicians and all instruments are going across the ocean to make a living i said if you might host your next event and Support the arts, get guys that are not necessarily household names that Stevie Wonder earned, obviously, because he's one of the great legends for, for the million reasons I, I I went off on a little tangent here. That's a but
0: question. to
1: those guys that are just not quite there, but that the President of the United States says, you know, we created this art, I'm going to support it in
0: What's this Especially Bill, a saxophone player. How That's is- right. Interesting. Um, Steve wants to take you back in time with a question. <laughs> and we'll, we have a few.
2: Yeah. So can you tell us about your involvement on Patrick Moraz's story of I? Well, we actually discussed it on the show um, over the summer. We, we've been going through like the first solo albums from each Yes member since joining Yes. So tell us about your involvement in Pat's album.
1: All it was due to Ray Gomez's kind of intervention. Um, I had played with Carmine Appice. It was my very first gig at,
2: when I left music school. Mm-hmm. And he had found Ray Gomez, who uh,
1: was and is a brilliant guitarist. And Ray is friends with Patrick Mraz. Ray, excuse me, admired me, which I thought was very kind. And when Patrick was about to do a record, Ray said, you got to use this guy Berlin. And and Patrick did in my first record. And then I met uh, uh, Alphonse Mouzon on that record. And he and I went like this as a rhythm section. I still remember the bass line we played, the first one.
0: How interesting. Mm -hmm. And what year was that?
1: 1975. I hadn't played that in whatever number of years 1975 forward is. Yeah. Could you hear great. the bass? It's a lot too
0: soft. That's neat. Mm-hmm. And then through Pat, you met Bill Bruford.
1: Could you hear the bass?
0: It cu- it was cutting in and out a little bit. We oh. heard it before Ooh. we went live though. Okay. Yeah. Right. Maybe because it was too loud, maybe a little too loud and it's it's uh gating or something. Yeah. I gotcha. So but got folks, it. go get the album. <laughs> and, and Patrick introduced yeah, you to Bill. <laughs> there you go. You met Bill through Pat, correct? No, I met Bill. Uh, he came to America to play with Ray. Oh.
1: And Ray invited me to play as the bass player. And Bill and I found each other at that rehearsal. And that, that's my first meeting with Bill Rutherford.
0: And in the book... As Stephen put it, we were talking earlier, he said, let, let's let ask Jeff and, and get his side of the story and see if they match up. Talk about like the, Bill talks about in his book, a dinner, meeting your family and kind of, I guess, to, I, I'm thinking, I came across to me so that your folks would see that you're getting a real gig with a, a real guy and just had like, a, as he describes, a real welcoming Family, but for you guys to kind of get a little closer and meet—is that how it went down? No, um,
2: he
1: uh, wanted a place to stay. I think I said you could stay over at my family home in Long Island, and he did. And that's fairly fairly well the story. Um, yeah. It wasn't anything deeper than that, and okay. we would go out and rehearse. And, and uh, that's really a
0: okay because he he did compliment the family on the dinner and what an experience he thought that was. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. So what can you tell us about that period, like being part of the Bruford band?
1: It was one of the most exciting musical periods for me because I was a guy that came out of music, uh, give me a second, having been shown that music functions a certain way. Bill. Didn't function that way. If he heard something, he did it. If he imagined a melody, whether it worked, you know, according or against the rules, he wrote it. And that was a very eye-opening thing for me. Once he was playing the piano, and and he played uh, some interesting odd harmony, and I said to him, you know, that note doesn't work there. And he said, well, I, I like the way that that sounds. And I can still see this in my mind. And that Shocked, but in a positive way. Holy mackerel, music isn't about, uh, in, in the artistic sense, the, the, the rule element of it. It yeah. certainly is, I'm learning of it, but not in the artistic sense. So um, being with him and playing with him and recording with him was one of the great universities of my musical life. And it's like he-, he
0: tossed away all rigid structure that people relate music to as we learn as musicians, and he he just disconfigured it and did what he thought was pleasing to him, which
1: is amazing. Well, that's, I think is where style comes from. Yeah. And it's always the person that eventually doesn't follow tradition or follow, you know, uh, standards and sort of creates their own pathway. And, and being with him in that regard, I, I, I learned, I mean, I, I didn't, I wasn't with him to learn, but I certainly did learn. He, he opened my eyes to many things.
0: You know, Bill um there's no drum there's a lot of drummers that sound similar in a lot of ways. There is no drummer that sounds anything like him. The, the drum sound his playing, he's the first person and and maybe the only that I ever heard say and this was a big eye-opening thing for me as a young musician that music is the space between the notes that you don't here. And that, like, at first that's so profound, but you let that soak in and marinate, and it's like that's what creates the patterns and the, the... It was just so neat to to hear that reveal from him, you know, especially as a drummer.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Right. Interesting.
2: Um Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Steve. Uh, I was just gonna say, in Bill's um autobiography, he was also as interesting, he is very complimentary being like... G- basically saying, you know, Jeff was the guy that he needed, like, for the band. And so oh, yeah. It's it like a really neat thing. Um, but that wasn't the only time you worked with him. Um, as many Yes fans know, because uh, there's some overlap um, in all these different things, um, in 1989, you also filled in for Tony Levin on the ABWH tour when Tony had hepatitis. So... There were four shows that were canceled, but then you played with the band for seven consecutive nights uh, from what I found on Forgotten Yesterdays. Um, so the final week of that first North American leg of the tour. So. I was
0: there for one of them. I saw you and met you after the show in San Diego. I don't know if you remember the radio DJ in that town, Cheryl Redshoes and she introduced us and we chatted after the show and it you were great it really was it was neat steve go ahead i had to jump in and let Jeff know i saw one of those amazing performances in person
2: oh no yeah you're good um how long did it take to get the hang of that set list and how familiar were you with the yes songs they played and the abwh material at that point
1: well, uh, it's an interesting story, and it sort of uh, pertains to my past. I'm a transcriber. I've listened closely to music and write out sax solos and, you know, piano solos. And I have stacks of the stuff to help me to learn how to play in, in, in unique ways. Um, harking back to that thing you mentioned about Bill, that I was the right bass player. That was the sort of the fusiony, happy 70s, Jocko and Stanley and... Alfonso Johnson, and then I was in that mixture yeah. um, that was allowed. It was encouraged. So I was at the right person at the right time. But with uh, a, uh, with Anderson Bruford Waitman, Howe, I remember this, I got a call on a Sunday night <laughs> and they said, would you play with us? And I said, would be honored. So they sent me the song list and I'm a, again, I'm a good transcriber, so I hope this doesn't sound like too braggadocious, but I learned the show by Wednesday. And um, there were some songs like Close to the Edge, which I had grown up with. Remember I said earlier that there were certain songs that I just would drink them in, the Jack song. I I didn't merely listen to music. I, I dove into it. It was just my particular pathology or DNA. So I knew Close to the Edge, but had to refresh some of the things. Everything else I wrote out, because I'm a quick study, mm-hmm. and uh, Sunday they called me. Wednesday I flew, and Thursday I was on stage.
0: Wow, that's awesome! It was great. It was really a great show. What a what a neat time! And you know, the you when we listen to the musicians you've played with now on your own record, of course, being influenced by Jack Bruce, playing with Pat Moraz, being in Bill's band. Years later, like Steve said, with ABWH, you've also fooled around a little bit with, if I remember correctly, John McLaughlin and Alan Holdsworth. Yeah, how how like Alan. different were each of these compartments? Was it almost like opening new flowers on your vine each time you played with all these different musicians? Or was it kind of like, okay, this is my lane, this is their lane, they're all sort of in the same box. I mean, I have a feeling that's not what it was like
1: right. It wasn't. It was, it was like my, uh, it's like my recognizing the leaders' perspectives and trying to accommodate them. Um, mm. My earlier rep was I would just play and play and, you know, never listen. And I think that was a little, you know, not true. I had, I listened. And I was fortunate to be in bands where I could do my thing. But it wasn't always necessary in all cases. So um, when I played with McLaughlin, it was a, a, a trio of a unique, particular kind, and I wasn't into, you know, this. Yeah. But almost a whole other aspect that, that would fit his particular vision, but still you provide a little percolating. Um, Alan, the same thing. Uh, I would do. You know, we, we recorded a record as uh, sort of inspired by uh, Eddie Van Halen, got Alan a, a little record deal on uh, Warner Brothers and Ted Templeton. Uh, we recorded this this yep. record, so on it. And um, I don't know, whatever band I happen to be in, I sort of hovered, you know, above and underneath the music industry, to the left of it, to the right of it. And um, I love being a sideman and I love being a leader. So um, in playing with the different people that I played, uh, sort of allowed me to find my spot. I played in a trio with Dennis Chambers and Scott Anderson. And even there, you know, Scott is such a dynamic guitarist, and Dennis is such an explosive drummer, that if I went wild, we'd just have a cacophony of, of noise. <laughs> so I had to find my spot. And it was an interesting musical, uh, musical education. Each time that I played in any situation, because it wasn't about me, so in that regard, I tried to find a way to make it about us. And I'm really a good team player in that regard. In the most, you know, I did something the other day, a, a, a studio gig for a guy, and it was, you know, rhythm. Yeah. You know, and it's about the, the song. It's about the band. So everything I do is, is and had done, had been about that. But when it came my time to solo, I would put my heart and soul into it. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. And going back to, um, drinking in music, like close to the edge and cream. Do you have a favorite? Yes. Album, is it close to the edge or is it a different one?
1: I don't really have a favorite, but I would say gradual and close to the edge or probably with the two, but relay is incredible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I want to play a video from the Jaffa festival from 2015. Give people a whole different taste of your acumen and what it's added up to, at least to that point. People who might not have been as familiar with this side of your playing. And I'm going to read the list of players before we show it. It's Jeff Berlin on bass, no shit. And then we've got Yaren Gottfried on piano, Morty Ferber on guitar, Ronnie Holland on drums, Hagai Amir on alto sax and Gilad... Dobrecki on percussion this is a kind of a longish video so I'm going to skip through it and and just sort of guess from memory where the highlights are of the different players because I just love this check this out we'll be back shortly with more conversation with Jeff Berlin (laughs) Yeah, you gotta love audience shot videos, sometimes you just get the neatest stuff, especially up close (laughs) like that. Is that, where, where on a scale of your whole catalog of your styles and the different things you do, like to do, have done, where does improvisational, more traditional jazz like that fit in for you? As opposed to other things you've done, like more electronic fusion and different soundscapes,
1: it's equal. it's um, it counts when I do that type of music. I incidentally, I had a hand surgery. Oh, a year ago, I have uh, you probably can't see it, but I have a lump here. And I had two bones rubbing, and it caused me almost excruciating pain. And the doctor said, well, we can cut the bone and separate it and put a tendon and you should be more or less back to normal. So I went in for the surgery and I've never played the same since. The interesting thing is is that I'm out of pain but I can't do that like I you know, like I did when I was younger. But you you just did. Well, I I (laughs) I'm struggling with the you
0: dexterity know? is different right
1: yes it is and so to answer your question i'm slightly slower but the ideas are better uh, you know you make oh. lemonade you take lemons and make lemonade and i found new ways to play the bass in the last year when i say new i don't mean shatteringly different i mean new for me so um my tone is better my uh pedal uses is better so where is the jazz figure in? I still love it deeply, but um, can I be honest? I would love to play with Ringo Starr. Oh, I, wow. I would love to play with Metallica. I would love to play with, uh, as a sideman and a rock thing, I would love to play, uh, I'm, a, I'm a very good colleague. And so my, as I get older, and I'll tell you quite frankly, since I've been to therapy, because I, I went to some mm. uh, difficult times for some years, and I had to go to therapy. And uh, the reason I mention it, because I'm not shy about it, and also maybe someone having difficulty might consider it because yeah. it, it's, a, it's a valuable thing. But since that happened, I became a lot more open and, and light and accepting and and uh, you know, non-critical and, and willing and happy to play other music. So it's really done me a, 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 a world of good. And in that, so the jazz, I'll play jazz anytime and anywhere, you know, with the great players. See, I also do international kind of of gigs. That's what I mean. It's like, this This was Asia, wasn't it? This was, uh, what'd you say, the uh, what festival? It was
0: the Jaffa Festival in 2015.
1: Okay, so I've done this festival a couple of times. And playing with Israeli musicians and Indonesian musicians, I mean, gee whiz, man, the, the beauty of jazz and the in the sense of, so what should we play? A one-day rehearsal? Because everybody knows what to do. Uh, that was one of my tunes that we were playing in this clip. I can't remember the name of it. I think it's called Every Bo- Everyone Gets Old If They Have the Time. Oh, that's great. I, I like pun titles. and Yeah. So, um, I think that might even be Richard Drexler's title. In fact, I'm quite sure the pianist. And um, yeah, if, if I could play and feature myself, I'm there. If I could play and support the band, I'm there. If I can play, right. so one thing that I will do always if I'm allowed is provide something interesting. That, that That's my credo. Um, it's one reason why I lament that I've never played with Jeff Beck. He's one guy that I would very much like to play with while he's still out and active.
0: Yeah, and still so good. Oh my gosh, he's like and- 93 or something. Well, not really but you know he's up there and he's so good still he's amazing
1: Loves well, it, and he's playing beautifully and and i admire the bands in the big Yeah, Vinny you know um uh, in the band one of the great drummers of all time and yeah. i always wanted to find still whilst whilst i'm still without a walker to play with artists where i you know i'll always do the gig but i want to do it with something extra i want the audience to go isn't that interesting without muscling anyone out of the way? Oh, that's,
0: that's a great way to put it. Yeah, I love that. I
1: really enjoy it. And that, that's the thing that gives that gives me pleasure when I'm asked uh, to tour. I'll do it with Jack. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to play, you know, I'm not going to be Jack because I can't be Jack, but I'm going to play things of an interest. I, did you guys notice on the record how the bass sort of has an interesting position in the music? Or, or Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's not like it's just solid foundational. I mean, certainly there's a foundation there, but you right, know what right. I mean. There, there's there's right. some there's some artistic license there. Let's put it that way. There's
1: a little artistic license because on my record, I felt felt that anyone that would listen to me probably would want that anyway.
0: Right. Yeah. So uh,
1: I. That's it. I mean, like when I did like solos, I did the solos on what was the theme from an imaginary West? Yeah. So, and then, and I had to do solos that did emulate more the Brian Mays and the Jeff Beck, the epic, the, the anthem, the rock anthem. Yeah. And that was that contribution to pre- to present, to prevent to present bass in a way that I thought was going to be different. But if I'm sitting with someone else, I may never play. I, I played with Pat Martino. I didn't play one solo with him when he was living, the great Pat Martino, one of my yeah. first gifts. I walked the whole thing was just bottom, okay. and I never so, so um, and I
0: also before Steve asked the last question, i I really want to um, compliment you on the the fact how comfortable and open you are about therapy. My wife is an art therapist. She's a professional artist. she's a professional therapist, and she mixes those two together. In, in creative way that I've seen open people up. I mean, I don't get in her clients business or anything, but there are some people we mutually know that I've seen go through a transformation and it's a lot less of a clinical experience because she's involving art and creativity. And the thing I love when I hear people say, but I don't paint or I'm not creative, this or that. And she says, we all are, you just haven't found it yet. Let's open that up. And, and it's just, it's amazing. So I love that you're, you're out to inspire people to understand that it's okay to talk about. There's nothing taboo about that. You know, who hasn't been through stuff and if we're big enough to address our stuff and, and it it solves it, it gets us through it. it, it, It's, we should be talking about it. So it's great. Thanks for doing that.
1: You know, um, uh, uh, it gave me my life back. And as I said, uh, I grew up in a critic. I didn't say, (laughs) may I say, yeah, Um, I, up in a highly critical family a very dysfunctional family my father's a kind of a holocaust survivor my mother was an abused person and then these two people got together and had kids (laughs) so (laughs) we the legacy of that has been lifelong and one of the legacies of that upbringing was deep criticism i criticized educators I criticized for the longest time, undeservedly, people like Steve Bailey at Berkeley or Victor Wooten for their educational acumen.
0: Mm. And
1: well, I did it because I was a criticizer and because I did not have the wisdom. or I was unconscious to the fact that people are different and that you have to respect with real respect people that choose their path and how they did things. I didn't know what that was. And I only found out about it recently. How about them apples? I've been in mm. therapy on and off a long, long time, but I owed a lot of apologies and, and, and I'll use it here in, in your forum that I don't criticize anybody anymore. And, and because it is, it is unbecoming, it's unfair. It isn't, it isn't even correct. So I had a lot of humble piety, and and I did it as a part of my penance in order to become a better person in, in all ways by apologizing to anybody that ever didn't uh, f- felt uncomfortable with my comments because now I don't feel that way, and uh, it's it's even now I'm still proceeding because I still go to therapy, so I still try to develop things, you know, and learn and be Me- a better.
0: Yeah, I think Jeff, that that begs the question. I hope this doesn't sound like a platitude, but going through that process and everything, how enlightening and liberating has that been?
1: Well, it's been, and it's been, it was shattering. Um, I was a guy who constructed, have a construct, a mental construct of how to live in the world. Uh. When that began to fall apart, literally what happens is a part of the things that keeps us sane or, or, or in the world, fell apart. And it was so shocking that I'm still not out of it yet. I'm still involved in dealing with this because I lived and believed a whole lifetime of a certain vision of It
0: became a model of your world, basically.
1: That's precisely right. And that model came crashing down to where I was deeply ashamed of what I had wrought and what I had done in such an unfair manner it's almost hard to talk about but i'm you know i i i'm not a martyr here i i just am a, a good spokesperson and a good yeah. uh, for healing and i'm still involved in it but uh it it's uh, i'm still dealing with it I'm still do you, dealing do you, with you
0: it. mind if i mm-hmm. ask for purposes of inspiration so that people know this really is for everybody for context do you mind if i ask your age so I'm that people know it's sad. never
1: too. things you're what almost 70
0: so it's never too late to go through a positive transformation
1: well i whatever years i have left i didn't want to go through it through a a, a myth of, of, of existence i i i wanted whatever time is allotted to me as a musician as a human being i i wanted to do it and see if there is a comfortable peaceful way a sharing way, a loving way. And, and to, cause I haven't forgiven myself for a lot of stuff yet. That's part of the work, but um, I'm, I'm in the, yes, I'm going to be 70 in January. I'm in great health. I play really well. I'm a good musician, et cetera, blah, 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 you know, and I want to be a, a balanced human being up here and in here.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that folks. I hope you got a lot out of that. Really? That's just so important.
1: Yeah
2: just i'm
0: sure you know. yeah that's great steve
2: yeah um and i think so for this next question i think you all already uh mentioned ringo but just for the heck of it if you could work with any other musician you haven't worked with before who would it one be?
0: you get one
1: i would say jeff beck because jeff is a player and an adventurous musician and uh, uh, a a spark of brilliance exists in him. Um, and I think that we would be wonderful colleagues should the opportunity come up. Now, here's the little bit of the concern I have. I'm on a public show here, so it's not like I'm trying to use your, your right. <laughs> to weed my way into the back office. I'm not, I'm just sharing a thought to you. Yeah, that that's is, okay. He's kind of but I'll go for two. I love Ringo. I love McCartney. Mm-hmm. These are, you know, these are older men now, but um, right. yeah, cause I'm a good pianist. I'm a good guitarist. I'm a, you know, I don't know. I'm kind of into that. I played jazz all my life. I love jazz. I'll continue to play it, but I wanted to well, play with great adventurous musicians. Jeff Beck is absolutely in front of that. And, and the thing yeah.
0: about Jeff, I could totally see how you'd be able to live out, that more foundational stuff that you've played less of, but still have the opportunities in his music to get colorful. You know, you d- you kind of have opportunities for the best world it seems like with his music.
1: And yeah. if you, you know, I would I would find that out in five minutes. That's yeah. the thing. Sometimes next okay. like, boogie or, or there's this. save with that song. There's a song by Jeff. He's done a lot of songs, and sometimes he needs you know. <laughs> you know what i mean yes so i of course tasteful tactful but uh anyway since you asked i'm a big fan of jeff's
2: yeah and he also has the same initials as you and as jack bruce so there you go Oh,
1: (laughs) interesting you know there's a few jb's out there
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Please hang on the line as we say goodbye to our audience and uh, we'll, we'll see you all again soon. Steve and I on our road trip to go see Roger Dean's exhibit in San Francisco Saturday through Tuesday. So watch for that folks. Thanks for joining Steve and Jeff and myself here on Yes Shift and from Talk TV. Thanks everybody. Thank you.